All right, this morning, Romans chapter 12. We're going to get back and finally finish Romans chapter 12. You know, normally we take a chapter of the Bible. It takes us about three weeks to get through a chapter. Uh, this one has taken us, this will be the fourth week, actually. We're, we're in Romans chapter 12. And uh, Colin opened us with this chapter a couple of weeks ago, dealing with verses 1 and 2. Romans 12 uh, really begins the portion of Romans that becomes the application uh, of the book. The first 11 chapters deal heavily with the doctrine of the book and doctrine of salvation, the doctrine of Israel, verses, or chapters 9, 10, and 11, Israel's past, Israel's present, Israel's future as it relates to God. And then beginning in chapter 12 uh, begins the direct application. Because we understand the doctrine of the book, we can then apply it to our life. And so Colin taught us a couple of weeks ago from verses 1 and 2 that our lives are to be a sacrifice on the altar. And, and it's just reasonable service that we would give our life back to Christ because Christ has bought us with his shed blood. It's just reasonable that we would give our life as a living sacrifice. And he taught us that from verses 1 and 2. And then we looked at verses 3 to 8 where Paul lists several gifts Actually, he lists seven gifts that are given to the body of Christ. And what we learned is that every one of us have been given God's grace, and we've been given a gift or multiple gifts if we're a believer in Christ. And so we need to be grace-gifted members. In other words, we need to realize that we have a spiritual gift, and we need to employ that in the body of Christ. And so every one of us, if we're saved, we have spiritual gifts, and every one of us are called to employ those gifts in the body of Christ. And then Cody taught us from verses 9 and 13 the fact that we are to be brethren in the family, and, and, and we're to be love-lifted followers in Christ. And he dealt with how we're truly to have genuine biblical love toward each other. We're to have right relationship with each other in Christ, and that is possible in Christ, it's possible, and as a matter of fact, it's expected. Uh, the church family ought to be a family. It ought, it ought to be a family. And we're going to get into a little bit more of that today, but, but today's really going to emphasize our relationship to other people outwardly. But I'm just telling you, it's important that our family be, be rooted and grounded in love uh, as a body of believers. And then, and then this morning, we're going to finish the chapter, verses 14 to 21, and this could easily be called, uh, if I were to title it, it could be easily be called Soldiers in a Battle, because what we're going to talk about is spiritual warfare a little bit. Uh, but really, what I, what I titled this message this morning is The Beatitudes for the Believer. And the reason I entitled that, I think you'll, it'll make sense once we read the passage. Uh, so let's just read it real quick. I'll pray, and then we'll get going this morning. Look at Romans 12, verse 14. It's the Bible winds down this chapter and it says, Paul writes and he says, bless them which persecute you, bless and curse not. And already we probably don't like that. <laughs> I mean, that's just, that's, that's, that's just the way it is, man. What? Uh, I'm supposed to bless those that curse me and persecute me? Okay. Rejoice with them that do rejoice and weep with them that weep. Be of the same mind one toward another. Mind not high things, but condescend to men of low estate. Be not wise in your own conceits. Recompense to no man evil for evil, but provide things honest in the sight of all men. If it be possible, as much as lieth in you, live peaceably with all men. Dearly beloved, avenge not yourselves, but rather give place unto wrath, for it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, saith the Lord. Therefore, if thine enemy hunger, feed him. If he thirst, give him drink. 
For in so doing, thou shalt heap coals of fire on his head. Be not overcome of evil, but overcome evil with good. All right, so let's pray and ask God to teach us this morning. Father, we need you. We love you. Uh, Lord, we thank you that you are our rock. And we do trust in you, Lord. Uh, you are wonderful. And, and we thank you for what we sang today and the promises in those songs. Lord, I pray as we study this passage to, today, help us to understand the principles that need to apply to our life. Help us to understand who the real enemy is and help us to understand how to behave ourselves so that other people can know Christ as Lord and Savior. God, we give you the time. Bless us now. We need you. We ask in Christ's name. Amen. All right, so if you want to follow along in the notes, and I'm kind of an outline guy if you're newer to our church, and so I just think kind of analytically, and that's just the way I think, and so, you know, forgive me. But let me give you a couple of points. Number one, what we're going to talk about this morning is we need to know our enemy. We need to know our enemy. And this verse tells us that we're to bless those that persecute us, we're to bless them and curse not. If you get down to verse 15, it says, rejoice with them that rejoice, weep with them that weep. Verse 17 says, recompense to no man evil for evil. Provide things honest in the sight of all men. If it's possible, as much as lieth in you, live peaceably with all men. And so, and so this portion of the book of Romans, where, where Cody's message dealt with us internally, this message for us is really going to deal with our external relationships, and we need to know who our true enemy is. Now, by the way, it's very interesting that this passage actually parallels Another passage of scripture in Matthew chapter 5, commonly called the Sermon on the Mount. Have, have you guys read Matthew chapter 5? The Sermon on the Mount or the Beatitudes, right? And, and I've got it on the screen. Very similar to what Christ taught in the Sermon on the Mount. Look at, at Matthew 5 verse 43. Jesus says, you've heard it that it been said, thou shalt love thy neighbor and hate thy enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies, bless them that curse you, do good to them that hate you, and pray for them which despisefully use you and persecute you, that ye may be the children of your Father which is heaven, in heaven. For he maketh his Son to rise on the evil and on the good, and sendeth rain on the just and the unjust. And, and we know at this church, listen, that we understand how to rightly divide the scriptures uh, at this church. Matthew chapter 5, 6, and 7 is the Sermon on the Mount. And, and very doctrinally speaking, specifically speaking, that is a kingdom of heaven context. In other words, God has some things in Matthew 5, for instance, verse 5 says, Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. We're talking about a kingdom of heaven context, the literal physical kingdom, not the spiritual kingdom of the kingdom of God. As a matter of fact, in Matthew 5 and verse 10, it says, Blessed are they which are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven." And I just want to make the point that, that the kingdom of heaven and the kingdom of God are different in the Bible. And one reason we know that is because they're spelled different. Amen. God is not heaven. Heaven is not God. And you too could be a pastor one day if you, if you can just simply understand the English language. As a matter of fact, the only time in your Bible that the phrase kingdom of heaven is found is in the book of Matthew, which portrays Christ... As the king of the Jews, it's found 33 times in 32 verses. And so we understand at this church that there is a direct kingdom of heaven application to the Sermon on the Mount. No offense, but you as a Christian aren't going to inherit the earth. I'm sorry to disappoint you. 
You're, you're not going to inherit the earth, and, and you're not going to inherit the kingdom of heaven. You're going to inherit the kingdom of God. That's what you're a part of. However, when we get to the New Testament and the Pauline epistles, and we see something in the Pauline epistles that match what we find in Matthew chapter 5, well, guess what? There is a direct application for us as the church. And, and, and I'll just tell you personally, studying this out, when it talks about blessing your enemies and blessing those that persecute you and not cursing them, you know, as long as that's in Matthew 5, I'm comfortable with that because that's kingdom of heaven context. That's not to me directly, although there is application, but can I tell you when we find it in Romans chapter 12, it's directly to us. It's directly to us as Christians. And so, and so God wants us to understand this morning, there, there's some things that we need to understand about our enemy. We also know from Matthew chapter 5 that God, verse 45, and I hope that, yeah, it's still on the screen. Verse 45 tells us that God our Father in heaven makes his son to shine, uh, sun to rise on the evil and on the good. And he sends rain on the just and on the unjust. And what, what I want to help us understand is God has a general grace and a general mercy on all of humanity. Every human today is breathing God's free air. Every human today is experiencing God's beautiful weather outside. They're experiencing God's rain. Their fields are being blessed, whether they're saved or lost, whether they are just or unjust, whether they're good or evil. Do you see how God generally has extended his grace and mercy to all humanity? Well, the reason that's important is because when we get to Romans 12, God wants us to mirror that grace and mercy to all people. He wants us to mirror that grace and mercy to all people. We understand that God is merciful. As a matter of fact, in Lamentations chapter 3, verses 22 to 23, it says the Lord's, it's, it's of the Lord's mercies that we are not consumed because his compassions fail not. They are new, how often? Every morning. Great is thy faithfulness. And, and again, listen, in Matthew chapter 5, God makes his son to rise on the evil and on the good, and God's mercy is new every morning to the saved and the lost on this planet. To Americans and to every other nationality, to every race, to every culture, to every language, to every tongue, his, his mercy is new every morning. It's because of his mercy that we're not all consumed, saved and lost. And, and, and so we have to understand this morning from Romans chapter 12 we got to know who our enemy truly is. Okay, so, so get this in your notes. And, and here's the principle. Because many times in Christianity, we are fighting against the wrong enemy. We're fighting against the wrong enemy. And so here's what you need to get. The first key in your notes is this. People are not the enemy. People are not the enemy. And, and I want you to look at Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 12. Because the Bible says that we wrestle not against flesh and blood. We don't wrestle against flesh and blood. We don't wrestle against flesh and blood. We do not wrestle against flesh and blood. And somebody needs to say amen. Because our enemy is not flesh and blood. The Bible tells us that we wrestle against principalities and powers and against the rulers of darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. And so as a believer in Christ, we need to understand who our true enemy is. Number one, our true enemy is the devil. 
We have an adversary, and listen, that adversary is not a human. (laughs) He's a created being that that was made beautiful and perfect, and he, he was made for a specific purpose. But because of pride, he fell, he rose up in rebellion against God Almighty. And the Bible tells us in 1 Peter 5 and verse 8 that we are to be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, as a roaring lion, walketh about seeking whom he may devour. So whoever you think your enemy is, you need to ask yourself the question, did they have flesh and blood? And if they do, you need to understand they're not your enemy. You need to understand that the devil himself is your enemy. The devil himself is your enemy. And by the way, he takes captive at his will those that have flesh and blood. In other words, the person that you think is maybe against you may be against you, but listen, they're being influenced possibly by the devil himself. They aren't the enemy. Flesh and blood is not the enemy. The devil's the enemy. You guys okay? We're going to get real close to the, we're going to hoe close to the corn this morning. Because whoever you think the enemy is, and by the way, let me just say this, there's no person on this planet that's your enemy. So, so we get real prideful in America because we're Americans. And we look down on the rest of the world, and, and, and can I just tell you, listen, those people in, in other parts of this world aren't the enemy. They're the mission. They're the mission. Because God's called us to take the gospel to reach those that are lost, that have been ensnared by the devil, and see deliverance through the gospel of Jesus Christ. Number two, listen, our enemy is our flesh. So we have the devil as an enemy, but listen, you also have an enemy in your flesh. In other words, you have an enemy in a me. There's an enemy inside of me. That's broke English for you, by the way. That's a Mark Trotterism. I learned that from Pastor Mark. I have an enemy in me, and that is in my flesh. Romans 7, Paul says, listen, for I know that in me, in my flesh, dwelleth no good thing. For the will is present with me, but how to perform that which is good I find not. Paul tells us in Galatians chapter 5 that the spirit lusts against the flesh and the flesh against the spirit. These are contrary the one to the other so that ye cannot do the things that ye would. Our flesh, our sinful flesh is our enemy. And thank God for the Spirit of God that seals us when we get saved in Jesus Christ. We're sealed unto the day of redemption. And so there's this battle inside of us, and the real enemy, it's me. It's my flesh. It's my flesh. And then number three, listen, we have a, an enemy, and it's, it's this world system. And I want you to understand, it's not the people in this world, but it's this world system that is anti Christ in nature. John 15 and verse 19 says, if you were of the world, the world would love his own, but because you are not of the world, but I have chosen you out of the world, therefore the world hateth you. Listen, this world system, God tells us that that Lucifer, that Satan is the God of this world, according, according to 2 Corinthians chapter 4 and verse 4. He's blinded the minds of those that have not yet received the gospel. He's the God of this world, and so this world system, it's governed by our adversary. He's the enemy, but the people in the world are not the enemy. And we need to fight the right battle. We need to fight the right battle. That's why we can bless those that persecute us, because those people that persecute us aren't the enemy. The devil is. 
Let me give you the next key in your notes, and, and if we get past point one, we'll be doing good today. We probably may not get past point one, but, but let me give you the next key. The next key is this. Those that speak truth to us aren't our enemy. Listen, listen, Galatians chapter 4, and if you knew the backstory of the book of Galatians, man, Paul is dealing with believers in Christ that were trying to move away from the gospel back to the Old Testament law to be righteous. And Paul, you know, is writing this letter to deal with their error, and he's speaking truth to them to see them reconciled back to God because they're messed up in their doctrine. It's not that they've lost their salvation, but they're trying to move back to, to a religious system that couldn't give them righteousness to start with. And so Paul writes in Galatians chapter 4 and verse 16, and he says, Am I therefore become your enemy because I tell you the truth? And can I just tell you, sometimes in Christianity, when somebody loves us to tell us the truth, we mark them as an enemy. They're not our enemy. The lost world is not the enemy. And listen, somebody that loves us enough to tell us the truth from God's word, they're not our enemy either. Listen, the guy that shared the gospel with me at the age of 21 loved me, and he loved me enough to share Christ with me, not because he was my enemy, but because he was my friend. And he was concerned about my eternal destination. And he loved me enough to tell me the truth, that I was a sinner separated from God, and I needed redemption in Christ. And listen, I didn't look at him as an enemy. I looked at him as somebody who loved me because he shared the gospel with me. If someone shares the gospel with you, can I just tell you, that person's not your enemy. That person's not your enemy. They love you and they love Christ. And listen, if you're saved and someone loves you enough to take you and show you the word of God and share with you the word of God, for whatever reason, maybe they see something in your life that's not matching up. They're not trying to be critical of you. They love you enough to show you from the Word of God. Hey, man, listen, I love you. Let's talk about this. They're not your enemy. They're not your enemy. Don't treat them like your enemy. Listen, if you're being discipled some, by somebody and they're investing the Word of God in you and you get to the point where, listen, the Word of God is kind of hitting you crooked and you're having a, a hard time receiving what God says, that person discipling you is not your enemy. They love you enough to tell you the truth. Paul says, listen, am I, uh, am, I be, am I your enemy because I'm telling you the truth? Sometimes in church, man, we get, we get wrapped crooked because the pastor preaches on something that God just lands it right in our heart and right in our mind. I'm not your enemy. I'm not your enemy. And nobody that stands in this pulpit is your enemy. God loves you enough to bring you truth from his word. And so we need to know who the right enemy is. It's none of us. Number next, listen. Can I just tell you this? Those who are backslidden on the Lord and no longer fellowshipping with the body of believers, they're not our enemy either. They're not our enemy either. And listen, Christianity has the reputation for eating its own. Because as soon as somebody backslides on the Lord, man, the church crucifies them. Do you understand what I'm saying? Anybody been on the receiving end of that? Listen, if you hadn't heard it anywhere else, you're going to hear it here. Backslidden Christians aren't the enemy. 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, verses 14 to 15 deals with this. Paul writes and he says, If any man obey not our word by this epistle, note that man, 
and have no company with him that he may be ashamed. And what Paul is dealing with in 2 Thessalonians is church discipline. In other words, hey, if we have some members of the body that aren't walking accordingly, well, Paul does say, okay, you need to withdraw fellowship so that conviction and, and correction can happen in their life. Church discipline is a biblical doctrine. We don't like to talk about that in the 21st century. But then he says in verse 15, listen, when you do that, yet not count him as a what? You don't count him as an enemy, but you admonish him as a what? As a brother. In other words, when church discipline happens, you need to understand that, that whoever is on the receiving end of church discipline is not our enemy. God's wanting to reconcile and restore them back to right fellowship, and God makes it very, very clear. You need to admonish that person as a brother in Christ. You need to admonish him as a brother in Christ. And, and, and so again, listen, we're called to reflect God's grace and mercy. <laughs> That's why we can bless those that persecute us. And we can curse not those that offend us. And, and, and we don't have to repay evil with evil. Why? Because we have a right relationship with God. And we understand who the real enemy is. The real enemy is not people. The real enemy is the devil, the flesh, and this world system. Now, we're in Romans chapter 12, which follows Romans chapter 11. Again, you too could be a pastor. <clears throat> Real easy. In Romans chapter 11, when Paul is dealing with the nation of Israel, he says something in Romans 11 that's very interesting. He says that concerning the gospel... The nation of Israel, the Jews, during Paul's day, were enemies because of the gospel's sake. As a matter of fact, look at the screen, Romans chapter 11, verses 26 to 28, but I'll read verse 28. The Bible says this, concerning the gospel, they are enemies for your sake. In other words, what Paul's doing is he's clarifying in Romans chapter 12, the enemies that he mentioned in Romans chapter 11, what he's saying is anyone that is against the gospel is going to be our enemy in a practical sense, but you need to understand anybody against the gospel is our mission. Anybody against the gospel is our mission. Those that are against the gospel, do you realize that Paul is saying, yeah, yeah, the nation of Israel, they're enemies of the gospel for your sake, but do you read Paul's burden for the nation of Israel? I mean, he's begging God to save the nation of Israel. He's, he's begging God to save his kinsmen so they don't spend an eternity in hell separated from Christ. And so he understands, listen, practically, you may be my enemy based on the, uh, on the rejection of the gospel, but you're still my mission. And because you're still my mission, I can bless you. I don't have to curse you. I don't have to return evil upon you. And by the way, if anybody understood this, it was the Apostle Paul. Because Paul himself was an enemy of the gospel. Paul himself was a religious Pharisee that persecuted Christians and had them imprisoned. And then he met Christ. And it changed his life. And Paul realized, well, those people didn't return evil back onto me. Those people lived different. I persecuted them. They didn't respond, they didn't respond to me the way I reacted to them. And then he gets saved. And his life has changed because of Jesus Christ. And now he says, you know what? Listen, when people persecute us, and by the way, Paul experienced persecution in his ministry. But he never reacted out in evil against evil that was acted out against him. 
We were enemies of Christ in our sin. Romans chapter 5 tells us that we were enemies in Christ, uh, enemies without Christ, but we were reconciled to God by the death of Jesus Christ. Colossians chapter 1 tells us that we were alienated and enemies in our mind by wicked works, and yet now we've been reconciled in Christ. The point is, we need to know the enemy. We need to know the right enemy. It even tells us, listen, man, uh, I mean, if it's possible, as much as lieth in you, live peaceably with all men. Live peaceably in all, with all men. Peaceably is the adverb in verse 18. It's how we are to live. And can I just tell you, it is possible to live peaceably. Now, if you get on social media, you're going you're gonna to figure it out real quick. It's not possible. You understand? I, I think that's one of the greatest tools of the devil there is, quite, quite honestly. It's, it's an absolute joke what social media is. It's an absolute joke. Uh, it's... I don't want to offend some of you, but I think it's satanic in nature, quite honestly. Because it puts people in a position to speak their mind with no repercussion at all. They would say on social media what they'd never say to another human being to their face. I'm telling you that the calling is to live peaceably with all men. And it's possible because we have Christ. As a believer in Christ, listen, we have the fruit of the Spirit, and the fruit of the Spirit... One of the characteristics of the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, and, and peace. And so if, if we have the Spirit of God, we have the capacity for peace. Ephesians chapter 2 tells us that Christ himself, verses 13 and 14, Christ himself is our peace. And so listen, God gives us an out. Listen, if it's possible and as much as you can, live peaceably with all men. Okay, some people... It's not possible, but that's very few. Let's just be honest. That's very few. There are some people in this world that is difficult or if not impossible to live peaceably with. 2 Thessalonians chapter 3 and verse 2 says that there are unreasonable and wicked men in this world. Okay, so in that scenario, we just withdraw. We don't have to go to war. We don't have to go to battle. We don't have to return evil for evil. It takes two to fight, but it only takes one to make peace. As a believer in Christ, that's what we're called to do. And so, number one, we need to know who our enemy is. Our enemy is not flesh and blood. It's not flesh and blood. doesn't matter if saved or lost. If it's flesh and blood, they're not our enemy. And our goal is to reach them with the gospel. Which leads us to the second point. We need to know ourselves. Verse 16. So, verse 16, Paul says, listen, be of the same mind one toward another. Mind not high things, but condescend to men of low estate. Be not wise in your own conceits. And, and, and so what Paul is going to help us understand is we need, to, we need to maintain a humble mind. We need to maintain a position of low estate. In other words, we shouldn't think of ourselves any higher than we ought to think. Actually, we saw that in Romans chapter 12, verse 3. We also need to be of the same mind one toward another based on what we just talked about. In other words, we need to have the same mind that we're all in agreement that our enemy is the devil and not each other. Can I just tell you that a church that understands that, that the people sitting across the room from them is not their enemy, a church that understands that is going to have the same mind. Do you, do you understand what I'm saying? In a church, if half the church thinks that the other half of the church is the problem and the other half of the church thinks the other half of the church is the problem, listen, that church is not unified. They don't have the same mind. We are not enemies against each other. And we need to, have, we need to be in agreement As Community Fellowship Baptist Church, we need to be in agreement on who the enemy is and who the enemy is not. 
And it's not you, and it's not you, and it's not you, and it's not you, and it's not me. It's the devil. We need to be in agreement on that. We need to have the same mind. We need to speak the same thing according to 1 Corinthians chapter 1 and verse 10. We need to have the same mind. We need to have the same judgment concerning these things. And, and, and then Paul says, listen, mind not high things. In other words, be not high-minded. You know, the danger for any Christian is pride to think of oneself higher than he ought to think. And if any of us think that we're any, anything more than a sinner saved by God's grace, then we're starting to get high-minded. Man, we're nothing. <laughs> we're absolutely nothing without Christ. And he's everything. And if we're anything, it's because of Christ. And so listen, here's the key. High-mindedness in our life is a result of pride. Job 41 and verse 34 uh, the context of Job 41 is talking about Leviathan. And it says, he beholdeth all things. By the way, he's the dragon, right? He beholdeth all things. He is a king over all the children of pride. God told us previously in Romans chapter 12 that we're not to think of ourselves more highly than we ought to think. And, and the context of that statement was concerning spiritual gifts. Just because you have a certain gift and somebody else has a different gift, it doesn't give you the right to elevate yourself pridefully above the body of Christ. We're to, we're to be men of low estate, condescend to men of low estate. Listen, Jesus Christ is the example. He is God in the flesh, and, let, and yet he humbled himself and became a servant. He humbled himself and spent time with publicans and with sinners. It's real hard to reach people that are publicans and sinners if you don't meet them where they are. And if you're too religious, and if you're too prideful, and if you're too quote-unquote spiritual, and I use the quote-unquote, you know, sarcastically, if you're too spiritual, and you're too high-minded of yourself, you'll never have a ministry. You'll never be able to reach people in the gospel of Jesus Christ. And, and God says, listen, we need to condescend to men of, of lowest state. When you study that phrase in the Bible, it takes you back to Luke chapter 1, and there's a woman named Mary whom God, through His grace, gave an opportunity to be a part of God's bigger plan in this world and in this universe. Luke chapter 1, verse 41 says this, It came to pass, when Elizabeth heard the salutation of Mary, that the babe leaped in her womb, and Elizabeth was, Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Ghost. And she spake out with a loud voice and said, Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb. You see, Mary had the opportunity to carry the Lord Jesus Christ. The Bible goes on and, and, and it says in verse 47, it says, Now my spirit hath rejoiced in God my Savior, for he hath regarded the lowest state of his handmaiden. For behold, from henceforth all generations shall call me blessed. And this is Mary basically just saying, You know what? I'm nobody. I'm just nobody. And God, for whatever in His grace and His providence, allowed me to be a part of that. And listen, when we look at Luke chapter 1 and verse 38, a couple of verses earlier, we see what made Mary of low estate. How did this woman put herself in a position to be used by God? The Bible tells us that she humbled herself at God's word. Look at Luke chapter 1 and verse 38. It says, Mary said, when, when the angel came to her and, and put forth this opportunity, the Bible says, Mary said, Behold, the handmaid of the Lord, be it unto me according to what? 
according to thy word. And the angel departed from her. And listen, what made Mary of low estate is the same thing that makes you and I of low estate. Of low estate. When we humble ourselves to the word of God, well, it makes us available. It makes us usable for God's eternal purposes. That's how you condescend to being a man of low estate. You realize that you're nothing without Christ. And when the, and the word of God comes across your life and across the plate of your life, listen, you just humble yourself to it. You just humble yourself to it. That's what Mary did. She just humbled herself to the word of God. And God was able to use her. And God wants to use everyone in this room. And God wants to use every person watching this live stream. But the way we, have, the way we, we see that happen is we, we humble ourselves. We don't think so pridefully of ourselves that God can't use us. We, we humble ourselves so that God can use us. Which brings us to the last point. We need to understand from this passage that God himself will avenge. We, we need to walk away with the assurance. Because listen, we talk about not reacting to other people. When, when we talk about blessing our enemy and not returning evil to evil and not persecuting those that persecute us, number one, it takes a humble mind to do that. And number two, we have to rest in the assurance that God himself will avenge all wrongdoing. Look at verse 19. Dearly beloved, avenge not yourselves, but rather give place to wrath, for it's written, vengeance is whose? Mine. I will repay, saith Jay. Now, that's how it normally works out in, in my life, and yours too. Turn your halo down. Therefore, if thine enemy hunger, you know, the next two words aren't really in the way Jay normally responds. If your enemy hungers, feed him. If he thirst, give him drink. For in so doing, thou shalt heap coals of fire on his head. Be not overcome of evil, but overcome evil with good. You see, I think this is a, this is a point that, that the modern church has missed. Because we're really good to be reactionary, and, and many times we'll return evil with evil. We won't bless those that curse us. We'll persecute those that persecute us. What Paul does is he pulls from two Old Testament passages. Proverbs 25, Deuteronomy 32. Says, says the same thing, verse 21, Proverbs 25. It says, Thy enemy be hungry, give him bread to eat. And if he be thirsty, give him water to drink. For thou shalt heap coals of fire upon his head, and the Lord shall reward thee. And I want you to understand and see how that, thing's, that thing works. When, when we respond rightly, God does something in the person's life that's persecuting us. God also positions us for reward at the judgment seat of Christ. And so, listen, how we respond is critically important. Deuteronomy 32 says this, To me belongeth vengeance and recompense, and to me is, is God. Their foot shall slide in due time, for the day of their calamity is at hand, and the thing shall come unto them, make haste. And so here's the point. The point, anybody watch the Avengers? Uh, you know, I know you're all Baptists, but I also know you all have Disney Plus and, and Netflix, so it's fine. I mean, we love... Do you not like the Avengers? I've watched like every one of them like 16 times. Okay, me and Cody will confess it, and the rest of y'all are hypocrites. Okay. Uh, so you know the premise, right? Here, here are Earth's mightiest heroes, and obviously some from you know, Thor and these other cats from outer, outer space and whatnot. But man, they, they're, they're here to avenge all the wrongdoings of all these wicked beings from different worlds, different realms throughout all the Marvel Universe. And, and you know, you watch those movies, man. 
And it's like, oh, man, the Avengers are getting beat, man. They're getting beat down. They're having to go into hiding and all this stuff. And then, but then there's that, you know, that, that curve in the story where they come back with a vengeance. They come back with a vengeance. And they make it right, man. You know what I'm saying? I mean, they defeat Thanos. I'm not speaking in tongues right now. You, I mean, you know, even, even when Thor, like, chops his head off, and it was kind of a mute point, but when he chopped his head off, I was like, yeah, you know, like that right there. Like, he got it, man. I wanted to cut that dude's head off, man. Because remember, he told him to go for the head, right? And so anyways, those of you that, you know, don't want to fess up that you actually know what I'm talking about. Listen, I mean, that's the way we think, man. We, 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 we just kind of have that mentality. Even as Christians, we want to make it right, man. Somebody does us wrong. They persecute us. They say something bad about us. They, they treat us evilly. Man, the avenger, the avenger inside of me rises up, man. You know, it's like Thor. I want to go get a hammer and fix this. You know, and, and God says, "Listen, uh, that's not your that's not your that's not your privilege." As a matter of fact, and here's what we need to understand: and I'm, I'm I'm not trying to make light of the situation because this is critically important for us as Christians. When we attempt to avenge ourselves, we put ourselves in the place of God. When we when we try to avenge ourselves, we put ourselves in the very place of God. Whom God himself said, vengeance is mine. I will repay, saith the Lord. We're trying to take something that rightfully belongs to God and apply it in our own life. And, and, and listen, that's, that's wrong thinking. You know, Moses had a problem with that. In Acts chapter 7, uh, Moses reacted when, when he saw some of his brethren uh, being persecuted by the Egyptians. The Bible says in Acts chapter 7 and verse 24, and I don't think I have it on the screen. Nope. Acts 7 and verse 24, it says, seeing one of them suffer wrong, he defended him and avenged him that was oppressed, and he smote the Egyptian. And, it, and if you go back and read that story in Moses' life, we would say, yeah, man, stick it to that dude. You know, you don't let them pick. But listen, when, when Moses acted out in vengeance, that decision cost him 40 years on the backside of the desert. That decision cost him running for his life, and that decision cost him postponing his ministry to the nation of Israel. Samson is another Old Testament guy that, that lived for vengeance. You guys remember the story of Samson? That dude was always picking a fight because he had been wronged. I mean, listen, it's horrible. So much so that when you read the end of his life, I mean, listen, he, he's, he's given, Samson is also a horrible example of a Christian that gives his life over to his flesh because that guy just pursued the, the, the fleshly desires of his life no matter what. And wisdom says if Samson ended like that, I probably shouldn't give myself over to my flesh because the end result will be bad. Judges chapter 16, you know the story, man. Samson now has been captured by the Philistines. His hair has been cut. The Spirit of God has departed from him. The power was in the Spirit of God, not in the power of his hair, by the way. And so he's strung up in this, in this pagan temple, and all Samson is, is concerned with is not the glory of God. Samson is concerned with vengeance for himself. Look at Judges 16 and verse 28. Samson called unto the Lord and said, O Lord God, remember me, I pray thee, and strengthen me, I pray thee, only this once, O God, that I may be at once avenged of the Philistines... For your glory's sake, nope, because of my two eyes. He didn't care anything about God's glory. 
He cared about himself. He's selfish, self-centered, and carnal. You know, there's another man in the Old Testament that had the opportunity to avenge himself, to execute vengeance, but he chose not to, and his name is David. And if you go back to 1 Samuel chapter 24, David is the rightful king, the anointed king. There's a false kingdom under Saul, who is a picture of the Antichrist. And, and God tells us that there are a couple of times where David had the opportunity to kill Saul and to execute vengeance and to avenge against Saul, right judgment. And, and David said in 1 Samuel 24, verse 12, he says, The Lord judged between me and thee, and the Lord avenge me of thee, but my hand shall not be upon thee. Where are those Christians today? Where, where are the Christians like David that are on the receiving end? Do you know how often Saul tried to kill David? Basically every time he showed up, right? I mean, I mean David is dodging javelin at the dinner table. And any right-thinking guy like me would say, I'm going to wait till that dude turns his back and I'm going to fix this with a hammer <laughs> or a Glock. I mean, whatever, you know. David didn't do that, man. Da David shows us what it means to be Christ-like. Can I tell you, at Christ's first coming, Christ didn't avenge himself. He didn't execute vengeance. He didn't execute wrath. He didn't execute judgment. Now listen, that'll happen at the second coming of Christ. It will happen. But he didn't do it at the first coming. And so here's the point for us. Listen, when we try to avenge ourselves, and I know we're out of, out of time, but listen, when we try to avenge ourselves, we put ourselves in the place of God. We need to let God do the avenging. And the reason why is because God is a hard man to ignore. And by the way, he swings a much bigger sword than you ever will. Because he's God. And he's able to handle whatever the situation is. He's able to handle the person. He's able to handle the avenging much better than you and I will ever be able to handle it. And even if it doesn't happen in this life, I assure you it will happen at the judgment seat of Christ. And it will happen at the great white throne judgment. It will. It will. And so our, our responsibility is to not avenge. Our responsibility is to respond right. Let's finish it up right here in your notes. Look, the right response to persecution can bring about conviction in the lives of other people. The Bible says in verse 20, Therefore, if thine enemy hunger, feed him. If he thirst, give him drink. For in so doing, thou shalt heap coals of fire on his head. And the greatest favor that any of us can do to someone who's against the gospel and ultimately against us because of Christ is to remember, number one, they're not the enemy, they're flesh and blood. And the greatest thing that we could do is to respond rightly so that the conviction of the Holy Spirit will come upon their life. This fire upon the head, listen, this, when you study this thing out, it foreshadows God's judgment and when we respond rightly in the Spirit of God, can I tell you that the person that's against us starts smelling smoke? Because that guy, that guy's not responding the way I thought he would respond. There's something really weird about that guy. Yes. Yeah. Do you smell that? It's God's conviction. It's God's judgment. Because listen, if that guy doesn't repent, if he's lost and he's doing that, if he doesn't repent, well, listen, he'll spend an eternity in hell. And what, what we have to have in our, our 21st century Christianity is people that are willing to live out their faith like Christ and not answer again. 
even to the point of the cross. Luke 14, Christ, Christ did call us to bear, bear our own cross, right? Take up our cross, follow him, right? And that sounds really cool and Christian-y until we're actually called to do it. So here's the point. Look, right response brings about conviction in the lives of those that are, that are bringing persecution in our life. And, and you see it in Ezekiel 22. You see it in Proverbs 25. We looked at those verses. God says he's going to reward us, but he's going to put fire upon the head of those that are, are persecuting us, judgment for those that are persecuting us. Listen, when we respond right and in God's Holy Spirit brings conviction, and here's the next key, it's possible to turn an enemy into a friend through the gospel. It's possible to turn an enemy into a friend through the gospel. And, and I don't know if you really believe that or not. Paul believed it. The very people that he was persecuting, that he was causing to be imprisoned, that he was causing to be killed, after his conversion and a little bit of time of proving, welcomed him with open arms. There were a group of apostles that said, that guy's gifted by God. God's using him in a mighty way, man. He's an apostle, he's a preacher, he's a teacher to the Gentiles. You see, it's possible to turn an enemy into a friend through the gospel of Jesus Christ. That ought to be a reminder of God's mercy in our life, but it also ought to be a reminder of God's coming judgment on those that don't know Christ and they need to repent. And here's the last point, and we're done. Ultimately, we can rest knowing that God will ultimately avenge all. He's going to avenge everybody. Everybody's ever been done wrong. Those in Christ that have been persecuted, that, that, that have been offended, that have been persecuted, that have been martyred, can I just help you understand? Listen, ultimately, God will avenge all. I know you got your notes filled out, but don't, listen, don't stop listening to me. There's coming a day, man. Revelation tells us, Revelation 14 and verse 10, it says, The same shall drink of the wine of the wrath of God, which is poured out without mixture into the cup of his indignation. He shall be tormented with fire and brimstone in the presence of of the holy angels in the presence of the Lamb. Revelation 18, verse 20. Rejoice over her, thou heaven, ye, ye holy apostles and prophets, for God hath avenged you on her. And the her is this Babylon system. And a mighty angel took up a stone like a great millstone and cast it into the sea, saying, Thus with violence shall that great city Babylon be thrown down and shall be found no more at all. Revelation 19 and verse 2, For true and righteous are his judgments, for he hath judged the great whore, which did corrupt the earth with her fornication, and hath avenged the blood of his servants at her hand. Listen, your vengeance from the Lord may not come in this life, but I'm telling you it's coming. It's coming. And so as a believer in Christ... That ought to give me some assurance. That ought, that, ought to, that ought to put me in a place to just lay it all on the line for the Lord Jesus Christ, knowing that he's got it. He's got it. And I can walk into this world and accomplish the mission that God has called me to accomplish. And, and yeah, there'll be persecution. And there'll be enemy. And there'll be, there'll be opposition. And listen, it gives us an opportunity to minister God's grace and mercy to people that may not deserve it, but we didn't deserve it either. And God may use that to bring them under the conviction of the Spirit of God so that they can respond to the gospel of Jesus Christ. Because listen, I know, I know that God's going to make it all right in the end. He's going to get the glory. So let's walk in that, man. 
Let's walk in that. Let's know who the enemy is. Let's know who we are. We ain't nobody. <laughs> and let's, let's walk in the, in the fact that God's got it under control. He's going to get the vengeance. He will repay because ultimately he gets the glory. All right? I hope that's an encouragement to you.